0: Today's episode is with coach Josh Meyer. A few years ago, Josh and his team, the Division II men's college basketball team at St. Michael's College in Vermont, made headlines. During the 2017-2018 season, before games as the national anthem played, the team took a knee in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick's protest against police brutality and oppression in all forms. But it's apparent that this is just the tip of the iceberg. In many ways, the team had been doing real work raising awareness, educating themselves, and engaging in self-reflection for years. His students have graduated from what he calls their Life Lessons 101 curriculum with a degree that is grounded in leadership, community, critical thinking, and contextual awareness. And I wanted to know all about it. After a career coaching at all levels of college and high school basketball, Josh recently left the coaching profession to pursue social justice work full-time. I was fortunate to have the opportunity to catch Josh during a time of reflection on his coaching career, the coaching profession, sports, and social justice. Thanks for listening to my conversation with coach Josh Meyer. So yeah, Josh, really appreciate you spending time with me today. I wanted to start, um, you know, as much as you're willing to share about sort of your origin story, um, sort of what was it like for you growing up and what do you remember about your sort of foundational experiences?
1: Thanks so much for, for speaking with me today, Zach. I'm, I'm really, uh, grateful. Um, and, uh, growing up, um, yeah, I mean, basketball was so important to me and, uh, it was uh you know I, I think a vehicle that really um allowed me to learn a lot about myself um and at the time i i mean i just loved hoops and playing hoops but i didn't realize how how much bigger uh it was than than just basketball um you know it was really about uh You know, meeting people, connecting with people, especially people from different backgrounds than me Um, at an early age. um, I started traveling around to different places in Connecticut. I grew up in in Connecticut and you had um, diversity, but the towns were pretty segregated. And and I grew up in a town um, that was mostly white. And, uh, you know, there were towns, there were cities and towns nearby. uh that that were a lot more diverse um racially and ethnically and uh I spent a lot of time um playing basketball and forming friendships at an early age with um with other youth from those towns and cities and playing on teams travel teams with um with youth um who uh you know uh who had very different backgrounds than me and um, I think, you know, it was, I, I learned a lot about, um, others and I learned a lot about myself and I think I started to see, um, you know, just, uh, um, inequities that existed as well. I think, you know, that at an early age really became aware of inequities and, um, also developed an appreciation for, uh, different cultures, cultures that were different than mine, um, I came from a background i had um parents uh my uh, my mom's from an irish catholic background my dad was jewish jewish guy from new york city and um yeah so i you know we, we my brother and i i think um we're looking for our own culture and and uh you know uh we we found um you know we found Kind of a culture through uh, hip-hop music and through basketball, which were which are very closely related. Um, and we were close enough to New York City, you know about an less than an hour outside of New York City where we could, you know I could turn on the radio and you know and, and, you know we had some some we had access to some pretty amazing music at a yeah. really incredible time and and hip hop culture. Um, really became our culture we fell in love with it and at the same time I was falling in love with basketball and um, yeah so that that was kind of uh, my path yeah yeah
0: so you know you're growing up playing competitive hoops you end up uh, going to Wesleyan right and I know Wesleyan as a a basketball powerhouse um, you know throughout the years was that the case when, when you ended up there
1: no, uh, okay. no. Um, I think the basketball program has really um, come a long way. Uh, um, we played in the NESCAC and it was a very good conference at that time. It, it's always been for basketball. Uh, at that time, you had the you had Williams and Amherst and there were a lot, you know, a lot of other teams that were um, nationally ranked and recognized and we were, we were good and we could compete with those teams, but we weren't at the same level that they are uh, at now. I think that that league is just uh, very competitive and, you know, top to bottom. And uh, yeah, uh, it was, it was really good hoops, but I think the league and Wesleyan has, has gotten even better since I was there. Um, I graduated in 2000 uh, uh, and it was a, yeah, I had a really good experience playing basketball there. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, so what was it like being, you know, a student and an athlete at an elite liberal arts college at the division three level?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, I think an experience that, that really helped me you'll hear you, you hear this from a lot of people in terms of um you know kind of structure and balance and uh you, you don't it, you don't have a lot of time when you're playing a sport um you know whatever the level is to uh to just kind of hang out you don't have a lot of downtime you're really busy with the sport with travel um and uh with the the NESCAC, I think we started at that time we were starting later than everyone else, November one, but we were still doing a pretty intense preseason, um, you know, captain's practices and, and things like that. And you're busy, you know, it's you're, you're going, uh, year round and, um, yeah. And you've got to find the balance with, you know, academics and, um, you know, really kind of, um, I think it, it helped me a lot with my organization and, uh, managing managing time and, and my schedule and, um, yeah, just being disciplined. Um, and, uh, which I think was really helpful for me after I graduated, um, to develop those skills.
0: What'd you major in, by the way? I was an economics major. Really? I wouldn't have guessed economics.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, looking back on it, I, I, I haven't really applied it that much. I got into mm-hmm. coaching shortly after. Uh, Mm Um, after I graduated and, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I thought I might go into, you know, business, but I always, uh, had this feeling that I was going to get into coaching and, um, that's really what I wanted to do. And (laughs) I was able to, to follow that path, you know, after graduation, um, uh, but uh, I think economics really helped me learn how to think. Uh, the you know I don't remember a lot of the content, but um, the uh, the the way um, I, I I appreciate mathematics and the uh, kind of the, the problem solving um, aspect of economics and. Um, the the way uh that you have to think when you're um when you're when you're uh you know um that with that subject we did some there were some interesting like projects and econometrics which i, I liked because it it was it you know it started to uh uh kind of creep into analytics you know start started to connect with you know uh, analytics which were which was becoming popular in sports. And uh, so there were some ties, but um, it was just a different way of thinking. Um, and I think it, it, it expanded my mind and kind of um, challenged challenged my mind in different ways, challenged me to think in different ways. And I was also able to take some, some other really cool classes. Um, you know, just uh, there were a, uh, a lot of uh, really just, interesting and and different classes at Wesleyan and in in all different types of areas. And um, so I I appreciated taking those classes. But yeah, I think going back, I probably would have done it differently. I, I, you know, I I wanted to, uh, at one point I was thinking about uh, trying to uh, major in Buddhism, but I think a lot of the classes were at night and it conflicted with uh, some of our practice schedules. Mm. So it didn't work out, but there was this amazing um professor there who i I took an intro to buddhism class with uh jan willis um she's uh a woman of color very uh, just uh well respected um practitioner buddhist practitioner teacher um, and has a has a really amazing story and uh i took the intro to buddhism class and I, i was really intrigued and and thought about uh trying to go down that path it just didn't work out but that probably would have uh with with my mindfulness practice these days i think uh i would have uh really um appreciated those classes Um, i kind of wish i had had i had been able to take more of those
0: (laughs) well that's incredible that 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 was even offered (laughs) i wouldn't think uh, at first i thought you were going to say you were going to make your own major with buddhism
1: Yeah, no. uh, Yeah, I can't remember if it was a religious studies major or if it was actually a Buddhism major. Mm. I think, you know, they're I'm not sure which one, but um, they had a lot of classes. And uh, I really wanted to uh, take some more classes with Jan Willis. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I had a bunch of a a bunch of just uh, cool classes in different areas, Um, film, film classes and philosophy classes. And um you know, uh, all different types of, uh, classes that really, I think Wesleyan, uh, did a really nice job of, uh, offering classes that helped students think critically and really, um, you know, question and, and think critically, which I think has really helped me, um, as I've become, you know, uh. Really, I've I've developed a passion for uh, equity work and reimagining systems Mm -hmm. that are are more equitable. And I think a lot of that it started early on, you know, with with what we were talking about with with my path and basketball being, you know, um, kind of uh, connecting with connecting me with a lot of different people. But I think the 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 critical consciousness piece and, and the critical thinking piece um, from an academic standpoint and from an, you know, uh, kind of an intellectual standpoint, um, you know, and, and looking at it, looking for, you know, just historical perspectives, kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, Wesleyan was really helpful with that.
0: Yeah, definitely. So what about like, um, I'm wondering what your playing career was like, um, and sort of how did that inform your interest in going into coaching? You know, I feel like some some people, you know, it's because they they want to coach the way they weren't coached. And some people, it's like, you know, they had amazing coaches and they wanted to sort of replicate that. What was it like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think as with most most players, like we've had some really great experiences uh, with teams and coaches, and we've had some ones that, that aren't that great. And I think we, we learn from all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, they influence, influence us in different ways. Um, and it's really hard to be part of great teams. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's something that I think players and coaches are always striving for, you know, it's, it's, it's like, once you, once you have like a taste of that, you just want to like play on a great team again, or, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it's so special. And I haven't had that many, uh, instances of that as a, as a coach or player, I've been on good teams, but teams that have been like great and where everything's clicked and the chemistry has just been, you know, where, where there's been synergy. Yeah. Um, you know, that's only happened a couple times in, in my life as a, as a coach and player it, once in high school, and, uh, when I was a senior in high school. And then, uh, we went to the final four, um, when I was an assistant coach at Stonehill, uh, uh, yeah, I think it was around uh, 2006. Um, and those were two really special teams. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think I've, I've, you know, learned from all of the coaches that I've played for and worked with. Um, and uh, yeah, it's such a difficult, it's such a difficult um such a difficult profession. There's there's so much that goes into it um, when you're doing it well, and you know it's when you're doing it holistically. Um, but I, so as a player, I, I, you know I uh, I was I think you know a, a decent player and um, uh, someone who um, you know uh, I think helped helped my teams at all levels and always. You know, had a chance to play. I was good enough to play. I wasn't a bench player. Um, I wasn't a, a thousand point scorer, or a Hall of Fame guy. I was, I was, you know, solid. And um, I really, I, I like playing defense a lot. Um, and uh, I loved playing for coaches who really emphasized defense and sacrifice um, and things like that. That I think really connected with who I am as a person. Uh, you know, the, an opportunity to be selfless and sacrifice for your teammates. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I appreciated, um, being part of teams. I just loved being part of teams and and I still do. Um, even if it's not about basketball, you know, whether it's family or or whatever, but, um, uh, yeah. Uh, as a player, you know, I was okay.
0: <laughs>
1: it's what I, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't bad. I wasn't, I wasn't a star. I just, I think I was a solid, pretty versatile player who, you know, just wanted to help the team out and do my part.
0: So, you know, in undergrad and even before that and growing up, you know, you said you're sort of developing this critical consciousness, Um, but then you go directly into coaching at the college level, right, and being an assistant. So I'm wondering, how did you sort of navigate, you know, being a a kind of entry level, um, you know, you're not, it's not your own program. How did you navigate sort of being, uh, you know, sort of critical thinking and that sort of thing? You know, while uh, working for other people and and other people who have their own ideas and own philosophies and own sort of um, programs that they're running?
1: That's a great question. I I think right away I fell in love with uh, coaching. You know, I knew it was for me. Um, And at the same time, there was something about the culture of coaching that really frustrated me. You know, now I was experiencing recruiting and some of, you know, some of these different things. I loved working with the student athletes, helping them with basketball, helping them with academics, supporting them, just being there, you know, and and a different, a totally different take on the game of basketball. Um, that was so interesting to me. Um, uh, but the, the culture of college basketball, I, you know, I, I was working at that level at my first my first job was at John Jay College in, in New York City, um, and then I, I bounced around a lot after that. Um, different college programs. I did do a little high school coaching, um, but the 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 culture of the business of college coaching was a shock to me, and it it, it, it at that time I couldn't really um, articulate what I was feeling or mm. you know explain it, <clears throat> but. It, it just didn't, something about it didn't feel good. I'd mm-hmm. go to camps or recruiting events and, you know, it, it just people would be networking and, <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> um, and it just didn't feel as pure as what I had experienced as a player, like just playing the game. Now there mm-hmm. was this like whole business side to, to, this new take on basketball. and I loved part of it. I love, I I loved, you know, the, the the coaching aspect and helping student athletes learn, grow, prepare for life after college, Mm -hmm. thinking about basketball in a, in a totally different way. The strategy, um, especially the, how teams fit together and kind of, and, and roles and, um, who, you know, like, uh, playing rotations mm-hmm. and, you know, people were very systematic with coaching rotations and, and, and for me, it was just more of a feel. And I always really, uh, enjoyed being an assistant coach and helping with helping out with like, who should go and when, mm-hmm. and, and just seeing how there was different energy You know, energies with different lineups, and you know, just having a feel for that. It almost felt like jazz, and and (laughs) and, 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 you know, improv, improvisational. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to like chart it or anything. I just wanted to feel it. Yeah. Um, And I, so I, I, you know, I loved that. Um, But the business side of of college coaching, uh, I didn't really enjoy. And that's not to say I didn't enjoy recruiting because I did really appreciate like going out and. Uh, you know, finding student athletes who are a good fit as basketball players and as people and kind of um, assessing that, you know, and, and, it, and that, you know, that was a feel as well for me, um, really trying to understand as pe- uh, them as people, as players, and seeing the connections between the way they played and the way they are as human beings, and then meeting their families and understanding why they are the way they are.
0: Hmm.
1: That was really, that was really interesting to me as well.
0: The, so you you say you bounced around, you know, getting all kinds of different coaching experiences, but then I know you, you go and you do your master's in education at Harvard and, and, you know, I'm just picturing you in class. So I want to know what made you decide to do that? (laughs) Were there any other sports coaches in your classes? (laughs) But yeah, what, what made you decide from going to coach to, to really starting to study education in a in a really serious way?
1: Yeah. So I, I guess there there were, you know, several things that influenced that 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 decision to um to go back to school um and to do that program. Uh one of them was I saw how difficult the, you know, the, the business of coaching was and I'd bounced around a lot and um, as you mentioned, I, you know, I, I, think in my first five years, I was at five different colleges mm, um, wow. and I didn't get my first full-time position until I was five years in where I had benefits and <clears throat> I could get my teeth cleaned and stuff like right. that. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I, I, kind of wanted, you know, wanted to have something to fall back on. That was part of it. So there was a practical component. I had, you know, I'd recently gotten married and I didn't know. Where college, you know, coaching was going to take me, and if it was something that that I I was going to be able to continue to do, I saw how difficult it was to advance, and I kind of was skeptical of the profession as well. Um, but I had always thought about um getting the degree, you know, in education, specifically teaching, um, because I saw that as what I was doing, mm-hmm. you know, as a coach, and I wanted to get the theory behind that. And um, I had started a, a program at Connecticut College. I was an assistant coach. I was a grad assistant there. I started a master's in teaching program there. Hmm. Um, and I really liked it. I didn't get a chance to finish because I got my first full-time coaching job at Stonehill College in eastern Massachusetts um, a year after I had been at Conn College and it was a two-year program. But I, I, uh, I really... Um, enjoyed learning about education and, you know, seeing the parallels that exist in different um, areas of education, you know, and and at different stages of education and, you know, classroom, experiential, sport-based. And uh, that was cool. And, you know, uh, I've, you know, I, it was nice to, to be able to think about it in different ways, as opposed to just one dimension of education, just mm-hmm. thinking about it from a coaching standpoint. And a lot of my experiences in coaching had been, you know, the way coaches were thinking about it was, you know, really, there were, you know, it, it was a little educational, there was, you know, there was some education to it, and especially, you know, um, but a lot of it had to do with, x's and o's and not necessarily human development Mm -hmm. Um, which was something that when i got to harvard and had a chance to work with tommy emaker i really was able to see someone who was um, you know uh really focused on developing people and leaders and that was really refreshing for me and it coincided with what i was learning in the classroom Um, you know, from from a human development standpoint, educate, you know, uh, with the education classes I was taking um, and with the work I was doing um, in my practicum um, at Cambridge and Latin High School, you know, pr- learning how to be a math teacher. Um, it, it went together really nicely um, and uh, kind of kind of brought everything together and allowed me to really reflect upon the experiences that I had had in coaching up until that point.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you said Tommy Amaker seems pretty uh, influential on you. What? Who were some other influences, even if it's from afar, maybe you were reading them or, or sort of studying them in your program. Like, did you have any sort of heroes or, or people you were looking at as, I don't know what I would call it, sort of possibility models, role models, that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, so in that program when i was when i was at harvard and i i was i did my my master of education teachers ed program there um you know focusing on underserved communities and uh i i uh, designed an independent study uh where i connected with um i was a a graduate manager at the time with the harvard Mm -hmm. men's basketball team um and i I connected with Coach Amaker and with a professor that I was studying with, Sarah Lawrence Lightfoot. Professor Lawrence Lightfoot is an amazing um, human being, as well as, as as Coach Amaker. And we did this project called "Coach's Teacher," um, where we were really looking at parallels that existed, you know, between the classroom and and the court, and you know what kind of. What coaches do and how they educate and and what teachers do um, Mm -hmm. in the classroom. And I had these two amazing um, just uh, role models and people that I could look to um, where uh, Professor Lawrence Lightfoot uh, had pioneered this approach called portraiture. It's a sociological approach. Hmm. Um,
0: What what was it called again?
1: Portraiture. Okay, Um, And she had written a lot of books, um, about education where, um, you know, just really look, you know, uh, observing people in their, in their environments, um, and then, um, uh, kind of just having these conversations where you're learning about them, but they're all, but, but they're also, I think there are opportunities for, for them to reflect on what they're doing as well. Mm And creating these spaces where it's it's just this um, space for reflection on all sides, mm-hmm. and um, just uh, Professor Lawrence Lightfoot was uh, just such a uh, you know such an amazing supporter for me within mm-hmm. this process, and then having the, this opportunity. To have these conversations with Coach Amaker, I started. So at the beginning of the year, I just started to write down everything I saw and his quotes, and you know anything that he said in huddles. And um, it, you know I wasn't assistant coach, wasn't an assistant coach. I was uh you know a graduate manager, so I, I, I there was space for me to really reflect. Whereas in the past, yeah. I had been an assistant coach and I was doing scouts, and mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, but. But during huddles and you know practices, and I could just really watch um, yeah. because my my responsibilities were setting up chairs and getting water and and stuff like that. Um, you know, and and which are important things, but they also you know I'm not I'm not having to you know in in a huddle um, do anything around scouting or um, some of the coaching responsibilities that are requ- required when you're an assistant coach. Um, so it was a great opportunity for me to just, uh, observe. And, and then at the end of the year, um, at the end of the season, we had a series of meetings, coach Emmerker and I, where we just talked and and kind of about what I had seen. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I would write and bring it back to professor Lawrence Lightfoot and she would read and kind of guide me through these, through this process of writing and through this process of, uh, of interviewing, you know, it's not really an interview. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, you know, more of just a, a conversation, but this process with, uh, coach Amaker that was based on her, her portraiture work, you know, the, her, the, the, the approach that she had pioneered. Um, <clears throat> and so I had these two amazing coaches and who were both, you know, just, um, they were heroes to me, you know, they've, you know, at a, at a really critical, uh, formative juncture for me. And they were also both people of color, which I think is, uh, is really, um, important and influential, both courageous people of color. Mm -hmm. Um, Sarah Lawrence Lightfoot is the first, um, uh, female, uh, African-American female to have an endowed professorship at Harvard. Wow. Um, and uh, Coach Amaker, Tommy Amaker, is an amazing human being and an educator and someone whose mother was a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just uh, really, um, I think, ha- having been around uh, the business of coaching and seeing coaches, you know, that, that I felt like were more on the business side of things, seeing someone who... Um, was was a a real coach and into, you know, the developing people Um, and uh, also someone who was, you know, I think intuitive and was, you know, we talked about jazz before and improvisation and really was uh, about like feeling things out um, and using the intuition that he had, you know, from from his days as a great player. Um, and incorporating that into his coaching style um, and, and into his coaching pedagogy. Um, mm-hmm. This this intuition that often gets overlooked in our society, especially, you know, in, in sports and, and in the classroom as well. But, you know, people for a long time had this really um, kind of the uh, were heavily dependent upon being technically rational Mm, yeah. uh, as opposed to reflective mm. um you know where they had to have if this then that and you know like this th- this very um systematic approach as opposed to like you know let's feel it out let's mm-hmm. you know you can't possibly know all the scenarios that you're going to encounter as a as a classroom teacher or mm-hmm. as a as a coach you know let's feel it out and let's feel it out together let's feel it out with you know, student, the students in the classroom and the mm-hmm. student athletes and let's empower them, you know, mm-hmm. and that's something that Coach Amaker really did. I remember being in huddles and he would be like, what do you think? You know, and asking, asking the guys what what they thought. And I hadn't really experienced that before. You know, I had been around coaches that were more, you know, it, it, the traditional model was of coaching was and is very um, authoritarian. Um and very hierarchical you know from a power standpoint and that really opened expanded my mind too and 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 resonated with me that was a belief for me it was you know that that students student athletes players should be empowered and and more of that was happening in in the educational circles i was in and in, in my mm-hmm. classes that i was taking that was you know you know uh, a real focus was mm-hmm. student empowerment but that has hadn't and still hasn't really uh, crept into the coaching world. Yeah. Um, it's still a very, um, you know, hierarchical and authoritative uh, authoritarian, excuse me, um, model. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so I really started to think about that. And as I said, that was formative and really influenced um. The, the, the model that I implemented when I when I became a head coach at St. Michael's College.
0: How soon after did you become a head coach after you graduated?
1: So I, I graduated from From the program at Harvard in two thousand mm-hmm. um, and uh, eight, <clears throat> and I was I was substitute teaching, and then I was teaching. I, I taught um, in Worcester, Massachusetts, and I I was a head high school basketball coach in Worcester, Massachusetts, for a year at Burncote High School. Um, so I was able to have that experience. That was my first head coaching experience. Um, and, um, and, uh, my partner and I were living, uh, at the college of Holy Cross where she worked, we were mm-hmm. living on campus there, um, in one of the residence halls. And I was, we had our first child, uh, my first daughter, I have two daughters, mm-hmm. um, Nala and Melody, but Farina and I and Nala were living at, living on campus there. Um, and that, that was my first head coaching job was that high school job at at Burncoat high school in worcester mass Mm -hmm. and then uh uh, shortly after that um i had an opportunity to get back into college coaching as an assistant coach um a friend of mine got a job as the head coach at st michael's college in up in uh colchester vermont um Mm -hmm. a division two college um in the same league that I had been an assistant coach in when I was at Stonehill college. Okay. So I was familiar with St. Mike's and, uh, I was, you know, I, I really wanted to, to get back into college coaching. I hadn't had an opportunity to be a college head coach. And that was something that I had always really Mm. wanted to, to try. I wanted to, you know, have an opportunity to do that, especially kind of, uh, really, making the sacrifices and, and, uh, you know, just, uh, working really hard as an assistant coach and kind of, um, you know, uh, spending a lot of time, uh, just really, uh, it, it was a grind as an assistant college coach. And I, you know, I, I wanted to try, try to, give it a shot to be a head coach, you know, I'd I'd kind of spent a lot of time doing that. And I missed it. And I I think there was part of me that wanted to see what that felt like. And I, I'm, uh, so we decided to move the family up to Vermont. um, And, you know, give that a shot. And I was an assistant coach for a couple years. And Mm -hmm. then I became the head coach. Uh, my friend who was the head coach at the time, Mike had a, had a a really difficult family situation and Mm. he he had to go down back down to, uh, the Boston area. And I was fortunate, um, to have an opportunity to be the head coach. Um, the, the college, uh, uh, gave me a shot um, to be the head coach. And it was under really difficult circumstances and, um, you know, but, uh, um, I was able to kind of keep, you know, what Mike had started going, which and, and, you know, continue to support the guys that, that we had been working with and, mm-hmm. you know, have some stability within the program. And, um, uh, and uh, that was, that was, I think, 2013. And then I was a head coach for six years mm-hmm. at St. Michael's College. Um, so I had an opportunity to be, you know, to, to kind of do what I wanted to do. I don't think I wasn't someone, you know, I knew, I think I knew pretty, pretty early on that I I probably wasn't going to be a college coach for the rest of my life. (laughs) Um, it, it, you know, I enjoyed it, but it, it just, uh, you know, in my heart, I think I, you know, I wanted to try other things and, Hmm. um, and, 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 you know, just, uh, I think there was something that was calling me to back to education as well. I I always felt called back to, um, you know, education and helping people. And especially, you know, uh, uh, doing, um, social justice work became really important for me. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's always something that's, that's that I've, I've, you know, I've been called to. um, And especially when I was coaching at St. Mike's and given the political climate and what was going on around us in our world and what we became involved, involved in as a team. Yeah, um, I was really called to I wanted to help more people. I wanted Mm. to do more than just coach a college basketball team.
0: Yeah, well, well, Josh, let's not um, let's not sell yourself short. What I think you know, I think it's really important sort of the way you were able to to coach and sort of I think people can learn from that. And so let's just go through it. So like how did you go about, even though you knew you didn't want to be in college coaching for the long haul, in some in some ways that's even more useful because you know that your time is limited. You know, you know it's not just uh, this infinite thing. So you're building something with the understanding that you're not going to have it forever. So how do you start building sort of the culture you wanted, you know, everything from what kind of players did you, players and people did you focus on recruiting and how did you sort of create the environment that, uh, you had wanted based on all, you know, your academic and professional experiences to this point.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah and, uh, coaching college basketball is a beautiful thing. I think I, I, I also knew I wasn't, wasn't that great at it. Uh, <laughs> part of it was, uh, you know, I, I, and, and not that, you know, it, it's more of like, you know, w- what, what is a good fit for us, right? Like what, mm. what feels like a good fit and college coaching college basketball, it was, you know, it, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. And, uh, it's a, it, it's a beautiful profession and you can help a lot of people, you know, like you can help the the student athletes you, you work with. Um, and, uh, I think I just, I like what I really wanted to do. Um, I wanted to do it at a larger scale. Mm-hmm. We were doing it at St. Michael's college. And so this ties into what you were asking about. We were intentionally recruiting student athletes who we felt um really appreciated what we were trying to do which was um build a basketball program that was about more than basketball that was Mm -hmm. bigger than basketball that was um that was and and that really focused on holistic uh human development Mm -hmm. um Helping our student athletes um, develop in all areas, um, you know, from, you know, including basketball, but academic, social, intellectual, emotional, mm-hmm. spiritual, um, you know, whatever it was. And, and helping them see connections between those those different areas um, and really helping them you know, be ready for life after college um, and. <clears throat> um uh you know and i, I see basketball as a as a, a a great environment to do that work however the business of college basketball conflicts with that mm. and the business of winning games can conflict with that i i deal I, you know i genuinely believe that if you do things the right way you recruit the right people you know you you kind of that that you know and when you build Great teams winning is a product of that. Mm-hmm. Winning be a product of that. Um, uh, and it's 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 really hard to do that in a in the landscape that exists within college basketball. The business being that it is such a business, um, being that it is, uh, it's very competitive and it's inequitable. Um, you know, um, uh, you know, not everyone is starting from uh, the same place. And, and it's a business that, um, that really, um, uh, it's a, it's an oppressive business. It's a, it's a business that, um, that uses student athletes and student athletes of color, um, you know, especially at, at the highest levels, but, the culture that exists even at the division two or division three level like you have athletic departments you have coaches that are that are focused on winning first and they may be you know they're and i don't want to say this is everyone but as a whole you know i think winning takes priority the way that coaches are avail- evaluated are they a good coach right a lot of that comes back to what is their record mm-hmm. and you know is this a good athletic department is this a good ad comes back to well how how many games have have, have these teams won mm-hmm. and not necessarily you know how are we developing our student athletes as people as human beings and having that be the first criteria um and um and that certainly gets in the way of doing social justice work that you know if you're if you're really about that, you know, about doing social justice work and, and putting, you know, human beings first and, um, you you know, you, you're you have to work against these systems. And and that may be, you know, as you're reimagining systems and reimagining systems that are equitable, that have different you know, very different looks and feels that are non-hierarchical that really empower people, whether they be assistant coaches or student Mm -hmm. athletes. Um, Yeah, it's you're you're going against the system and, you, you know, like you may have to sacrifice some some wins in order to do that.
0: So what are some of the specific things that that looked like? Like, how were you resisting this system that you were operating in? And one thing, you know, just from reading up on you and stuff, I know, you know, you you had sort of retreats with your teams. I don't think that's typical. Um, But there's something else that stood out to me um, in the article you wrote and inside higher ed. And it says, I'm going to read the quote our team values and expectations were the product of a collaborative process. And when those were not met, the team generated a restorative response that balanced individual needs with those of the collective group. And I'm just dying to know, like, how did, how does that work?
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we did a lot of, uh, Retreat work, reflection work, um, you know, trying to have conversations that weren't, you know, that, that were, weren't just about basketball. When we would go on retreats, uh, we wouldn't even really t- talk about basketball. We would talk, try to understand each other as people and mm-hmm. um, really get to know each other as people. And um my partner Farine, she, she really like, um, helped me learn a lot about, she had been doing work with her orientation team. She, she mm. had kind of developed orientation teams at, at different colleges and, um, orientation leaders and just, um, incorporating some of the things she had done, um, where people really had an opportunity to, uh, share their story, their narrative. Mm. Um, and, um, learn about each other's context, you know, why is this person the way they are, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what, what's their story? How'd they get here? And, and, you know, and the hope was that when we encountered difficult situations that, you know, that would help us. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but that, you know, you know, you couldn't just talk about basketball without talking about that stuff. And a lot of it had to do with identity, you know, uh, um, you know the different the different identities that people bring to the teams. Like mm-hmm. they're not just basketball players, and mm-hmm. I think our student athletes really appreciated those opportunities to be in that space with with their team. And you know um, whether it was uh, talking about a, a you know a song and and why that song was important to them, or an object, or whatever it was that we were doing. These different types of you know at team building and reflection activities mm-hmm. that weren't based in basketball um uh you know i think uh it was something that that we all learned a lot from when you learn a lot when you learn about someone else's story you're also able to reflect upon your own story and your own path and mm-hmm. and um so that's a lot of it started there and that was kind of the you know i think that that was a, that was foundational work for us as a team, mm-hmm. and and also bringing in student athletes who really, you know, uh, uh, gravitated towards that type of work, um, which was you know it's not always easy to find because you'll have you know with the in the culture that exists within basketball today, um, you you know that that throws some 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 people for a loop. Like they don't get it. Like, why are we doing this? Like, you know, what, what, you know, let's talk about basketball, you know, what's going on here. Like, um, so we, you know, we really did a lot of that work and, uh, I really enjoyed doing that work and I think it brought us together as a team. Um, and, uh, with the quote, the, yeah, so I've been doing these past couple of years, I've been the restorative practices coordinator for uh, Burlington School District in Vermont. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized I, I was doing restorative practices work, you know, and I early on as mm-hmm. you know, when I became a head coach and it started with that that work I was doing at Harvard mm-hmm. you know, and really thinking about empowering student athletes um, and non hierarchical. Models of leadership. I remember taking a a, my my teach my math uh, you know class that was uh, kind of this core class at Harvard where we were learning how to be math teachers and the professor it was all students teaching the class Hmm. like we taught the class we had these different areas that we had to work on and we had to put together the presentations and the professor kind of just guided us through this process as a facilitator, but he wasn't standing up there every, you know, each class and, and teaching the class. We were teaching the class. We were all teaching the class together. And uh, that's how I wanted to do coaching and that, and it's very restorative, you know, now, now they have language for it and um you know that uh, uh, that's that led me to this work, um, which I, I also do equity work. Um, I'm in the office of equity, which I really appreciate. And and restorative practices are, you know, uh, really um, the you know a, a tool for equity, a practice that allows you know in theory allows for equity when it's done when it's done well. And um, you know, and and uh, yeah, but this 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 class and um you know the 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 whole kind of this this different way of thinking about empowering um student athletes and people mm-hmm. around you not just student athletes but uh, assistant coaches like mm-hmm. i had been in uh i had been an assistant coach for a long time and you you don't have a lot of a, vo- a lot of voice as an assistant coach right. you know? and, and I started to see coach Amaker was doing things a little differently, like where during practice his assistant coaches would be leading drills as opposed to some of my experiences where the head coach was always talking and yeah. always, you know like, and I was like, that's not, that's not efficient. Like, you know, <laughs> one, it's not efficient. Like, and two, like, you know, as, a, as thinking about my experiences as a player, like, uh, you know, uh, I think what I learned and grew the most was when I had opportunities to really try it out on my own and, and have voice and, you know, um, and when I was empowered, um, you know, as a student as well, whether it's in the classroom or on the court, you know, opportunities when we can kind of, when we're not just being told what to do, Mm -hmm. when we're allowed, when we're kind of allowed to figure things out a little bit on our own and, and, um, Uh, those are our most, I think, our most powerful learning experiences. So I wanted to try to help create spaces where, you know, we were doing what I had been taught to do in the classroom, which was, you know, this whole kind of scaffolding approach where you're, you're, you're kind of slowly giving more and more responsibility Mm -hmm. um, and creating this environment where, the coaches, it's not coach centered. It's, you know, it's shared accountability, shared responsibility, shared voice, and everyone, you know, as much as possible has equal voice. And, um, you know, I, I genuinely believe that that's the best type of team. Mm. Um, it's not only an optimal learning environment, but that, you know, where people are empowered and where they feel like it's theirs. Like um, those are, you know, the, those, that's, that's a a beautiful model of team to me. So mm-hmm. I was really trying to to create that from an educ because of my educational experiences, also because of my sport and team experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot of, you know, so there were a lot of kind of uh, opportunities to, you know, to to really do that scaffolding work and to um have have the team you know uh create come up with their own values and expectations so we we did a lot of that work at the retreats as well where they develop what are our values what are our expectations they're not what the athletic department's given us or Mm -hmm. what you know like they're not like i don't want you to sit there and be like you know obviously there's rules and there's you know college and athletic department expectations and there's like you know like And that's you know you have to be mindful of that. And there's going to be like goals of yeah we want to win this this many games. But what do you really believe in? Like what do you want to get out of this? What are your values? Mm -hmm. Um, What do you want this to look like, feel like? Because it's your team. It's not my team. It's it's you know it's all of ours. And Mm -hmm. what are the values that are important within that? And then once we establish those, how are we as a group going to you know, kind of uh, just uh, hold each other, um, uh, you know, accountable and kind of um, help each other be the best we can be. You know, with those values in mind, and that could be on the court. That could be, you know, um, in the classroom um it could be socially you know and and uh we had there you know with if, if it's academic you know so a couple i'm trying to I, i'd like to get a little bit more specific and you know so uh what did that look like uh with our captains we would meet with them frequently and ask them what they wanted to do what their opinions were what you know what do you guys think? What do you want to do in practice? Like, what do you, you know, what's important to you? And we had an idea of, you know, what we wanted to do as coaches and, um, but we were trying to really push them to like, you know, um, say what they thought, you know, uh, and and um, kind of be able be comfortable talking with each other and, and saying what was important. That's really hard to do with as, college student athletes with, with your peers, um, you know, and, and, um, and yeah. And some of the, so we, you know, we'd meet with the captains and, um, just really, uh, you know, I think often they, you know, I think they, sometimes they were like, well, we just want you to, you know, you to tell us what to do. And, (laughs) and, uh, trying to find the balance of, you know, having structure and a plan, but also really creating space for them to, to develop that plan. And mm-hmm. so that was one aspect. And then, you know, if there were academic situations, not just, you know, uh, handing out consequences or, you know, disciplinary measures, you know, and, and not being punitive, you know, really um, working on solutions with, our student athletes who had maybe, maybe gotten in trouble academically or so on campus, you know, what, you know, what is the solution for this? How are we going to figure this out? You know, and, 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 um, you know, that's very restorative, mm-hmm. um, and, and having other people on that team, possibly and other people in the team involved in that process and, um, you know, the, so that, I, I think, um, you know, that's where I was coming from with that quote. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of it has to do with empowerment and, uh, non-hierarchical approach, Mm -hmm. um, that's based in relationships as opposed to an approach that's, you know, uh, punitive and, uh, authoritarian.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing. And I wish, uh, I wish I could have watched all that happen in action, but it's good to hear you retell it. In twenty seventeen, you know the team makes sort of headlines. Um, you know, and you know, from from where I sit, it it looks like you know this wasn't. Um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, you all were sort of prepared for this. Um, And the team takes a knee in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick's protest of police brutality and anti-black racism. Um and, You know, this is 2017. Now, in 2021, everybody's doing it. And it's almost a cool thing to do that. Um, But, you know, I graduated in 2017. So this would have been the season right after that. So I remember like that was not socially acceptable. And that was a risky move and it was a dangerous one. Um, so if you could tell me like what, um, you know, all, the, all your philosophies and everything you had implemented and sort of the, the environment and the culture, how did that lead up to um, their decision, the team's decision to take a knee and then tell maybe also to like, what was the context of where you all were at when that was decision was made? Meaning, you know, the social context of being at St. Michael's, um, being in Vermont, uh, which I've heard is a very sort of liberal and progressive place, but I also know, uh, I think it ranks number one in being the whitest state in the United States. Um, so yeah, just lay that out for us if you would, like, what was, what was the context, um, you know, I imagine you were you were pretty proud of your team in those moments.
1: Yeah, extremely proud, and those were my proudest moments always. And we had been doing that work. We, you know, uh, we had some really amazing people on that team, mm. and uh, our student athletes had been. Um, doing social justice work since I started as a head coach in 2013. Um, shortly after uh, we had our team, um, we had a, a game where our team um, wore black socks and read a statement prior to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at, after uh, Eric Garner and Michael Brown, the, de- the murders of, the, of those people, um, mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, just, uh, that I, I can remember like just how impressed, how, uh, how proud and impressed I was, um, with, our with our team Mm -hmm. and, uh, how I was like, this is way cooler than winning any basketball games. And, Mm -hmm. um, we had, you know, we had some good, really good teams, my, my first two years. And, um, we, you know uh uh and uh that was just way more important and Mm -hmm. i felt like uh it it, um it it just i was you know like just so moved by it and Mm -hmm. their courage and you know like uh saw really saw like that. If, um, you're creating you, as a coach, if you create these spaces where, um, student athletes have an opportunity to express themselves, develop as leaders, they're going to do great things and they want to, they want to do that work. And, and they want to, you know, be part of teams that are, that are bigger than basketball that Mm -hmm. are about more than basketball. Um, and, uh, you know, we just, I tried to just kind of get out of the way, you know, tried to create these spaces and support them um, and to help them to, to just um, uh, help them see that, that they could, uh, that there were connections and they were more than basketball players Mm -hmm. and um you know, that, that they could bring that into the basketball world, that they could bring this, that into this space, into this team, that it was okay to do that. Um, and, you know, uh, my job was to empower them, you know, just really empowering people bringing in, I think bringing in, you know, recruiting really good people, um, a diverse group of people and then just empowering them and, and, um, uh, you know, modeling vulnerability and some of these things also that are, you know, I think, you know, our culture, there's, you know, toxic masculinity within our culture and it exists. It's heightened, it's, it's intensified within the sports realm and kind of model it, you know, going you know going against that and and modeling a very different approach to being a coach a leader a man uh a white man Mm -hmm. um and what that looks like um that was really my job and then to create space where they could they could really you know uh they have voice and they they you know um where they could really Ha, you know, use their platform to help to help others hear their voice, especially uh, on a primarily white campus, a mm-hmm. primarily white state. Um, you know, where we had a, a very diverse team, and um, most of the team was student student athletes of color, and just um, helping people understand their experiences, and um, yeah, just we had some really amazing, amazing people on that team. Um, mm-hmm. And when it got to uh, 2017 and, you know, that, that was about a uh, a little bit out a year after Colin Ka- Kaepernick had, you know, taken a knee and, mm-hmm. you know, team, there was, teams had started to, people were talking about it. Um, and there was this whole discussion around taking a knee and um, I don't think, a lot of teams were doing it, per se. And there was definitely uh, a lot of pushback. And, uh, you know, people, I think, didn't um, understand it. And the narrative that was being told around it was being manipulated Mm in a negative way um, politically. And um, we just, I think, just wanted to create a space where they could make a decision about what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't want to be in, you know, like I, I wasn't, I wanted it to be about them and not what, uh, the college or anyone else wanted them to do. Uh, And you had people on both sides and people asking, well, what is the team going to do? And our guys had been involved in some campus, you know, speaking out on campus and, there were, you know, um, that, which, which was awesome. And, um, we had some real leaders, uh, on our team in the, in our, in our community, in the college community. And, um, you know, they, they had some, a lot of dialogue around it and decided that they, you know, they wanted to take a knee and, um, I just let them know that I, I, you know, I supported them and I believed in the movement. And as, um, you know, I, I also wanted to to model what it meant to be uh, a co-conspirator, um, mm. anti-racist as a white person. I thought, I, you know, that that's really important for the, you know, the, the white student athletes that we had to see that. Um, and, um, you know, we, the coaching staff let the team know that we were going to, take a knee with them in support of what they were doing. And, um, you know, anytime our guys were taking a knee, we took a knee with them. And, um, for those two years we had, you know, for any game where an anthem was played, we had guys taking a knee mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, yeah, our team, you know, just really supported each other. Not everyone took a knee, but there was so much support and togetherness and it was definitely a, a really challenging. Um, time, we had, there was a lot of, um, people who, uh, really didn't appreciate what the team had done, right. what it was, what they were doing, didn't understand, even though we were, had been doing the work for a long time, we had been doing, you know, um, having those type of conversations. Um, it didn't, the team wasn't just trying to take a knee to, you know, um, you know, just to kind of, uh, you know go it, it was so much deeper than than that just mm-hmm. they didn't uh people people kind of said that they the, the team was you know it wasn't performative as it is now quite a bit you know there's there, it's become more perform performative but our guys there was a lot behind it a lot that went into it and a lot that came after it to help people understand and the team continued to do it and stood by it and had so much courage and wrote letters, made videos. Um, and it really, I think it really changed this community up here. Mm. I think it really had an impact and people who were in that space felt it that day. And, um, and, uh, you know, it was a, it was a very racist environment, mm-hmm. and, you know, during the game and after there was a lot of racism as well. Um, and, uh, Um, we, we took a lot of heat and, uh, you know, I, I think I just wanted to kind of absorb a lot of that, um, for the team because I wanted them to know and see, you know, how important what they did was and Mm -hmm. how proud I was of them. And there were others that were really proud of them too. Um, and they got a lot of, um, you know, a a lot of letters and, and things like that, um, but the overall, the you know the what you heard, you know, because the, the you know the the systems and um, the media, you know, and the institutions, you know, are are you know racist and based in white suprem- white supremacist culture, and um, didn't like what the team did, you know, did not appreciate and didn't understand. And, um, you know, we really had to work against that. Um, and, uh, they did a, a beautiful job of that. And, uh, yeah, I was so proud of them. And then just, you know, so it took, took four years, but people, people get it a little bit more now, yeah. you know, like, and they're, they're like, wow, you know, it's really amazing what the team did. And, you know, they, they were, right. they were featured in a Nike commercial, which they were Really so deserving of um but it's it's also interesting that you know um uh, uh, you know four years ago that wasn't that that wasn't the climate, and you know you, um and i'm just i mean I'm just happy that people are seeing it and that people are opening their eyes and you know where there's some movement and you know is especially uh, white people have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, we, uh, as white people, um, you know, uh, uh have to understand our programming and the way whiteness works mm-hmm. and work against it. And, um, you know, so that we can help make change and help things be more equitable and, and alleviate the suffering of all human beings, including ourselves. Mm. Uh, so yeah
0: yeah it's incredible really important uh experience to share so thank you thank you i want to i want to hear more about uh what you're doing now and you know you leave coaching in 2019 i think so it's it's pretty soon after going through all that experience uh with the team and, and in a lot of ways yeah it would make sense that that uh you would I, you know I think you you left the profession for some very valid reasons but what instead of thinking about it is what uh pushed you away what what was pulled what was what were you being pulled to what are you what are you getting into now
1: yeah I, so i think those experiences at st mikes you know the where we talked about the team you know the uh protesting and making change and, um, you know, the, the social justice work was something that really spoke to me, especially yeah. as the climate intensified and, you know, the, the political climate and, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I, I have a multiracial family. My mm-hmm. partner is a black woman and we're raising black daughters and, you know, seeing kind of their experiences and how racism impacts them. And, you know, that, that was, that's always been motivational for me and, and having a lot of friends who are people of color and just they're you know, seeing under, you know, understanding their experiences and, mm. um, you know, wanting things to be better for the, for the people I love. And, uh, so you have the social justice piece and then just wanting to do kind of education in a, in a, in a pure way, um, that, that's, you and helping people in a way that's not compromised by business and systems, um, systems of competitive systems, systems that have to do with winning, systems that have to do with uh, you, know, uh, zero, you know a zero you know zero sum. Um, the the um, you know just uh, m- moving away from kind of working in a. In, a, in an environment that um, where I can just help people, where I can do social justice work, where I can um, uh, reimagine things, you know, reimagine systems, reimagining, um, you know, whether it be education, whether it be coaching, I really enjoy doing that work. Um, I've, I've had a great experience these past couple of years. I'm actually going to be joining my partner, uh, started a business, All Heart Inspirations, mm. which is a storytelling business. Um, she's a, a, a brilliant storyteller. Um, and uh, just um, using storytelling to help empower people, and, um, help make change uh, in our community, in systems, um, you know, and and uh, um, we uh, we need a lot of change. And uh, I felt like I wanted to have a, a, a larger impact and help more people. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was pulled to do and called to do. Um, uh, you know, beyond. Kind of beyond basketball, beyond working with thirteen student athletes, which I loved, and I I feel like you can help do a you know I, um, it's it's great work, and, mm-hmm. and i I'm so I feel so fortunate to be able to have worked with so many um, special people, and and hopefully have you know helped them and have an impact. But you know we need we really need wide you know wide scale um, change right now, and we need. To reimagine systems, um, systems that work for people with marginalized identities, um, you know. And and for me, I, I you know, education was a really good place to start. And education within the community I live in, um, Burlington, Vermont's a very diverse community um, within Vermont. Um, it, you know, it's. Um, but it's also one where whiteness is uh is very powerful you know like there's there's you know still a lot of people in, you know in systems and in institutions up here where they're you know the this this um that uh where there are barriers for the people of color that live in these commu- in, the, in this community. and um, and where our our systems and our institutions, the way they're currently structured aren't working um, for a lot of people. And I wanted to try to change that, both within the community and beyond. And so education was a really good place to start with that. restorative practices. That's the aim of restorative practices is to, Reimagine education, the system of education, and make it so that it works for all people, and that students are empowered, and they have, you know, the, uh, uh, opportunities where their voices are amplified and where they, um, where education works for them. You know, so that that's I've been doing that work for the past couple of years, and and I'm looking forward to uh, having this opportunity with Farine to, you know, work from outside of a system now, um, and and try to help, you know, try to influence the community in a different way, um, applying some of our skills and experiences um, to support the community and try to make change. You know, I've done that work internally and, and now I'm excited to do it uh, externally as well. And, um, you know, leveraging storytelling to do that work um, and uh, empowering people. You, you know, using restorative practices, using story uh, storytelling, um, and just doing. Um, you know, also doing community work just to continue to build this community and um, make it a better place for um, for our kids and and all the kids in in, in this community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're excited to do that work.
0: Yeah. It sounds incredible. What, um, maybe to close us out, you know, based on, on everything, you know, now, and especially now you've had some time uh, away from coaching, you know, in terms of uh, being able to reflect and what is it that you hope your, your students, both that you've coached in basketball and in the classroom, what do you, what do you hope that they've sort of took away from their time with you and you know, thinking about it as a part two too, like what advice would you have for coaches who want to sort of do this same kind of work and and are going through um, sort of the system as you were describing it earlier and trying to make an impact on people?
1: Thanks. That's a a great question, Zach. Um, You know, I, I think... So the, the, the first, the thing that's really rising to the top for me with this is just that like, um, I hope, I hope the people that I've interacted with look back, you know, kind of reflect and, um, know that I cared about them and wanted to help them, uh, be the best people they could be mm-hmm. and and learn and grow and, um, you know, and, and, uh, saw them as more than basketball players and, um, yeah. Uh, and wanted to empower them, Mm -hmm. just really, um, provide them with opportunities to, to be leaders, to, um, to, uh, you know, to make mistakes, to, to learn through the ups and downs, the successes and failures. Um, and, uh, yeah. And sometimes, you know, that's hard when basketball is a really big part of your identity. Hmm. to really see that. And it's different than, you know what coaches have traditionally done and it's it, it's different than the culture that they you know that they've existed in but as I, I i hope as they get older and they're kind of you know removed from the basketball world a little bit more they see that and you know it it's it's difficult too um yeah I, when um you haven't had a lot of opportunities to see different models of coaching. You know, mm-hmm. I think I've had I've been in as a, a coach, you know, like I saw different models and I saw the way that the culture of coaching, you know, and, and what it was and what it was doing to student athletes and how it took advantage of them and mm-hmm. how how it's a racist system and wanting, not wanting to to do that in any way, even mm-hmm. if it, meant, you know, at, you know, the, you know, even if it meant we weren't going to win in as many games as we could win or, you know, um, but not uh, always staying true to like, I care about you as a person and like first and um, I want to help you as a human being um, and I want to help you make the most out of this experience here as you know, at, at college um and um you know always always kind of staying with that you know and staying true to that um you know even if it meant like it, you know uh that um even if it it, it impacted the way i was I was viewed as a coach. Like, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: am I a good coach? Like, I don't care if, if, you know, like, you know, based on this, like uh, you know, how people perceived me as a coach from the outside. Like, I, I don't, you know, like that's, that, that doesn't matter to me. What mattered is that I, I, I knew in my heart that I was staying doing what I've been talking about this this whole time like that I'm not full of shit you know um that I'm like uh really about this and that I'm placing you know education first and I'm I'm staying true to my pedagogy as an educator and like my values and um and I'm honoring these people you know as human beings and and thinking about truly thinking about them as if I was their, their parent or their, you know, uh, um, someone who, you know, their caregiver um, and which I was, you know, the, you know, this, these student athletes were a lot of times going away from home for the first time and, you know, their parents entrusted me and um, it was my job to, to help them grow as people, you know, and, um, uh, you know, so I would hope that, that, you know, people appreciate that and also appreciate the empowerment piece, um, you know, um, yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I, I, I don't really, it doesn't matter to me what, you know, my, like my basketball mind or my, you know, ability to, draw plays or like, uh, I'm not, you know, I, that's not, that's not that important to me. It's not important at all, actually. And I I wasn't very good at it to tell you the truth. I, um, you know, I, I I think, uh, my, my basketball mind was just okay. There are a lot of people who have, uh, you know, uh, way better basketball (laughs) minds and, but that, but I think that also allowed me to, to because my I wasn't that into the basketball and the X's and O's to to really do some of these other things that we're talking about and realize how important those things are. You know, if 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 you're really going to be a great coach, there's so much more to it. There's a, you know, a psychological component. There's, you know, all these different areas, um, human development, social, emotional learning social justice um and and those things need to be incorporated into our model of coaching um especially now it's um you know it's an injustice if we're not doing that it's it's a it's beyond a missed opportunity it's an injustice and they, we have to do that and our model of coaching has to change um, and our model of youth sports needs to change and it needs to be one that is based in education, one that is based in care, one that is based in connectedness. We see our our society is really struggling. Our youth are really struggling and they love sports, you know. So what what better area than to, you know, leverage sports to 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 make change to make the world to make this our society a better place to make our our world a better place to bring connectedness within our society within our nation internationally well uh using it for the power of good as opposed to evil um, I, what was the second part of your question
0: well you kind of answered it um just around you know what would you tell coaches that are that are sort of following in your footsteps they might not even know it but you know they want to coach in this way what would you um but i think you kind of answered it already
1: yeah i think so um yeah i uh this goes back to technically rational i'm like part You know, i know zach had two parts to his question <laughs> what did i check off both boxes yeah. and, but it, you know like I, I you know this i i'm i'm I believe in, in being intuitive and, you know, like we, we've got to learn to trust our hearts, mm. like, you know, like that's such an important thing. You know, we've gotten away from, you know, in, intuition has, you know, been frowned upon and, and overlooked and it's so powerful and it's so present in sports and we just need to, to, to embrace it and coach it. And, um, you know, it's, 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 you know, uh Teaching, you know, you know, there's there's different ways of thinking. We do the thinking with our 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 minds, our you know, our, our brains, our hearts, and we have to help help people think with their hearts. Learn how to really listen to their hearts, see with their hearts, you know, and and especially if we're you know going to be doing social justice work and and um, and you know, bringing people together from different backgrounds, you Mm -hmm. know, that's, you know, that can't be overlooked and it has to be coached and um, you know, how to, how to listen to your heart, how to see with your heart and how to connect that to your mind and the thinking Mm -hmm. that you're doing with your brain.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thank you, Josh. I think um, not just coaches, a lot of people have got a lot to learn from you and, and your experiences and your approach and your humility and, you know, I know you say you don't care about, you know, certain things, but you know, at some level we all care about, you know, being you know, thought highly of. You know, people think, you know, oh I mean, he might not have the best basketball mind, but you know, that takes a lot of humility and a lot of courage to to sort of put that inside and, and sort of focus on what's most important. podcast is a part of the Coaching for Civic Leadership project, an inquiry into the art of coaching for civic leadership, which I describe as the act of coaching to improve our society, with an eye toward developing leadership, problem solving, and social interest and understanding. If you'd like to keep up with this project, you can subscribe to the podcast and also subscribe to updates, writings, and interviews on our website, coachingforcivicleadership.com. Civic <laughs> you.